0: third week in our study on the Holy Spirit and we noted the very first that we're not studying it with the idea that we're going to have a perfect understanding of everything when we complete that we realize that we are finite beings studying an infinite God but we noted that just as when it comes to God we can understand certain qualities of God from studying the scriptures we can learn that God is love that it's impossible for God to lie and that God is just, and and all the various other descriptions that are given of God, and we can learn how He acts in various situations and all, in the same way that there are things about the Holy Spirit so far as the function of the Holy Spirit in His relationship to man, and that's our concern, not trying to to comprehend uh, the Holy Spirit as a person of the Godhead, but rather to look at the Holy Spirit from the standpoint of His function. Uh, in the lives of mankind and in the revelation between God and man. In the first lesson we noted that uh, when we look at the Bible that we have to remember as we read those documents that every single solitary page of the Old Testament and the New Testament was written at a time when God had prophets or apostles here on this earth. And that in the New Testament, when you read every single solitary document, there are apostles that are alive. These apostles can perform miracles, and 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 they did. These apostles have the authority and the to lay hands on people and impart these miraculous gifts. And all the churches that we read about in 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 the early church, they all had people with miraculous gifts. And so when you read any document, whether it's Ephesians or whatever, whatever it is you have to remember that it's written to a church that does have all these miraculous gifts, and the miraculous gifts are enumerated in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Okay, and then we noted that uh, the apostles are dead, all the eyewitnesses are dead. We now have the completed New Testament, something that they did not have. We have the completed Bible. And so we evaluate evidences or I should say we evaluate eyewitnesses in a different way than they did. Uh, They evaluated the eyewitness from the credential of the miracle. We evaluate in a very sophisticated way with all the completed material. And last week we noted that uh, from the very first that when God used men like Moses all the way through He never, one single solitary time that I'm aware of, took a message and gave it to men and expected them to believe that it was from God, except there were evidence. There was always the miracles, there were always the miracles, or the prophecy and its fulfillment. But there was some unique feature that could not be explained except through deity. And if you think about it, that's the only way anybody could know a message was from God. If there is some unique feature that could not be explained in any other way. And in reality, when we study about the inspiration of the Bible, and why we believe it's inspired, really all we're doing in simplest terms is showing the unique features of the Bible. And by that we mean we're showing features that we don't believe can be explained in any way except the inspiration of God, that you can't explain them with just pure human thinking and the knowledge of the people at the time. So, the message was given, uh, the miraculous served as confirmation. But we noted along with that, God expected the people to realize that truth is harmonious. And that any time you have a situation where somebody gives you a message that's not harmonious with the message you already have and it's confirmed, you need to be suspicious of it, even if there's somebody that claims to perform miracles. If what they're given is not harmonious with the revealed truth, you need to be suspicious of that message. And so we noted all the way through in the Old Testament that it was the message from Isaiah, Malachi, etc. In addition to giving more information, the more information that he gave was always harmonious with the information that was there. And again, one of the evidences for the inspiration of the Bible is the fact that we have all these books. Read by all these people over all those years, and nobody reading the completed product, and yet it flows together to make one harmonious whole from beginning to end. Okay, so now we've moved then up to the the, uh, Gospels, and one thing we have noticed so far, and by the way, if there's any passage you you want to bring in on this, we'll deal with that too, and Uh, and, And if we don't get through all the questions, we'll have a session after we go through the body material where we do nothing but talk about various questions and all. I personally don't know of a single solitary time in the entire Old Testament, and I'm going to say the same thing with the Gospels that we're studying tonight, where the Holy Spirit ever revealed guidance or information in some nebulous better felt than told experience. That I, I don't believe that happens. I believe that when God wanted people to know something, the words were plain, and the confirmation was plain, and, and people could know that it was was from God. There was there was never an instance of of people being expected to believe that a man was guided by God, uh, and and not given credentials in any way and not have anything except that person's word. You know that I'm that I'm guided in that sense. Okay, uh, let's look first at, uh, uh, in the Gospels, uh, number one here I've got Elizabeth, and filled with the Holy Spirit in Luke 1, and 39 through 45, and uh, I'll tell you what, as we go through here, uh, maybe Mark, if you have that, and then Carol, if you and Brian will turn to the next one, Luke 1, through 80. Where Zachariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh. And then, uh, well, let's see, after that, uh, Simeon in Luke 2, 25 through uh, 35. And let's see, uh, uh, can you see okay, sissy? I didn't know whether you don't mind reading or anything, we get to it. Uh, I didn't know uh, if you can see it okay that uh, Luke 2, 36
1: through 38. See, she just painted hair.
0: Uh, okay. What? 25? I mean, Luke 2:25. Uh, 25 through 35. And then uh, Barbara 2 and 36 through 38. And we'll that'll get us through that section. Okay, so turn over to Luke 1, 39 through 49. And Mark, would you read that, please?
2: At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting in back The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished.
0: Okay, now... We, we want to look at this term just simply filled with the Holy Spirit. And we noted that uh, we saw this in the Old Testament and we know this isn't some new idea that comes about in the letters that, that when uh, these people uh, spoke under the guidance of God that uh, there was something there called filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice also it's not like it's something that is constantly uh, in or in Elizabeth or anything But when this happened, it says she was filled, and then came that statement. And remember now that uh, she's already been instructed by the angel who come and and told her about her situation, and she also knows about Mary, and then we find that uh, statement there, and it says she was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and blessed is the child you will bear, and then... uh, she acknowledges their uh, identification with, with what is happening. Okay? Now, this happens, and, and what we're going to note as we go through here, as, as the information is given, Mary actually begins to ponder all of this. She really doesn't fully understand it. And, and she, uh, uh, in other words, even when she knew she was going to conceive, I don't believe Mary ever thought of Jesus as being God incarnate that it was still going to be the, the son of David, she conceived it by the Holy Spirit and all, but if we'll remember going on through the gospels, the brothers didn't didn't even buy him to what he was saying. They found that very difficult. They had been raised with him from childhood and the idea of God incarnate is something that they did not believe uh, until after the resurrection. Okay, note the next one uh, in Luke 1, 67 through 80. Okay, which, uh, okay. That
3: now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been sent since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our fathers Abraham, to grant, a, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear.
4: In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to repair his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation
0: to Israel. Okay, notice again in the the prophecy of of Zechariah that he speaks things that are actually beyond their full understanding at the time like uh, to, in verse 77 uh, he says that uh, he knows that John uh, is going to be called a prophet of the most high he will go before the Lord to prepare the way and then he says to give knowledge uh, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins and so that he says something that is there and yet there's still not a full understanding of how it would take place. In other words, they can know that he's going to get, there's going to be salvation and remission of sins, but he doesn't really, what happens afterwards shows that they do not fully understand it until after it happens. And see what happens when it comes to, remember one mark of the prophet is that whatever he said would come to pass. And at the time these words were said, they just simply knew that he went out and there was the claim behind it. But it, was, it wasn't until after it all transpired and took place that they would look back on it and, and understand this. Mark? Um, he makes a statement to rescue us from
2: our hand, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And, I mean, is he, is he injecting their false interpretation of what the Messiah is going to be in that? Or what is that talking about? No,
0: I think that what I believe uh, personally on the thing, I think that... Uh, that spiritual Israel uh, is going to be saved. There's, there's going to be this war to transpire between uh, Rome and Israel. There's going to be a judgment situation. And yet God is going to deliver his people. Uh, they will be delivered out of all of this. And uh, he just simply, in other words, all I can do is speculate on that based on what happens afterwards. You know Because uh, I know that uh, they're not going to get delivered from Rome in the, in the way the Jew thought. Uh, they're going to get deliverance uh, in the sense that uh, God will use Rome to actually destroy the persecuting force, and, and through that judgment, you know, that they will be delivered and all.
3: Well, that isn't that don't isn't that what it goes on to say to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear? Yeah, but I'm
0: and saying that t- what Mark is pointing out at, at the time that this is uttered, the Jews' idea of their enemy. Was Rome, and the Messiah would lead them in a rebellion against Rome, and in reality, the enemies turned out to be the religious leaders and the, and the Jews and and the actually Rome was was no enemy when the church first started out, and it was uh, judgment on Israel that uh, stopped the punishment on the Christians. But again, that would be just looking back. At the time when he said that, I believe they understood it just like you said. I believe anybody that heard that understood it that way because the Old Testament statements, that's the way they understood them in the, in the same way. And it would be along the same line that there were things that Jesus said that they misunderstood because of the way they were thinking. Um, the another, a point there that we, we haven't got to the Holy Spirit in Pentecost but obviously we can see from the Old Testament the Holy Spirit is revealing a message from God to to people, and we can see that the message is coming in wor- is coming in words. Okay, now uh, before you go, the verse eight says the child
2: grew, became strong in spirit. That would
0: just not necessarily be Holy Spirit. the 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 writer, the translator. Apparently thinks it's talking about just John's spirit because if you notice it's not capitalized. Yeah. And uh, whenever the translator felt, and by the way, it's it's a judgment call on the translator's part. Uh, the the uh, Greek language is not like ours. They're either all caps or all small. You know, but it, it's not like ours. And so. Uh, but the fact that the translator to put a small lets you know that his understanding from the context is that he's talking about the spirit of John, grew and became strong. The fact that he became strong in spirit as he grew, and to me that sounds a little bit different than just like she was filled with the spirit, you know, and, and spoke right then. I think sometimes, Mark, in the, that's a good observation because I think sometimes in the letters, it's actually difficult sometimes to understand when he's talking about just the spirit of that individual and the, and the Holy Spirit. Um, Simeon in 2 and 30, 25 through 35.
5: Uh, that day a man named Simeon, a uh, Jerusalem resident, was, a, it was in the temple. He was a good man, very devout, filled with the Holy Spirit and constantly expecting the Messiah to come soon. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen him, God's anointed king. The Holy Spirit had impelled him to go to the temple that day, and so when Mary and Joseph arrived to present the baby Jesus to the Lord in obedience to the law, Simeon was there and took the child in his arms, praising God. Lord, he said, now I can die content for I have seen him as you promised me, I would, and I have seen the Savior that you have given to the world. He is alive, and he will shine upon the nations, and he will be the glory of of your people, Israel. Joseph and Mary just stood there, marveling at what he was being said, what was being said about Jesus. Simeon blessed them, but then said to Mary. A sword shall pierce your soul, for this child shall be rejected by many in Israel, and this is their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy of many others, and the deepest thought of many hearts
0: shall be revealed. Okay. Notice again the the knowledge as Simeon speaks is beyond the thinking of the Jews of that day. They do not have this concept and understanding of the Messiah. That he recognized him as you've seen your salvation. And then he's a light, a revelation to the Gentiles. This is not something that was in Jewish thinking in that day, although it was taught by the Old Testament prophets. But he, he says he would be a light. And then he looks at Mary and says, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. And so he sets her up and tells her in advance that uh, there's going to be some very uncomfortable things that happen. And there's going to be a rising and a falling among your people as a result of what happens through Christ. And again, at the time this is said, I don't believe anybody fully understood it. That it would be later after the events transpired and they reflected on it. that That we would then have the understanding...
2: Again, he says he was waiting for cons- the consolation of I- Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, right. which kind of indicates that if it was upon him at that time, that it, you know, that it might have been a temporary thing.
0: Right. In, in fact, every time, Mark, that when we like, we only hit a few of the Old Testament examples. It would say the you know the Spirit of God. It came upon Saul, or came upon David, or came upon uh, Samson, and it was a a point in time, but it wasn't something that was just a driving force all the time in their life. But whenever God wanted to use them in some special way, uh, for revelation or to do something, there was a force that came on them. And uh, the to show you the word that is used even relative to the Holy Spirit, look over here to. Uh, I wasn't going to get further, but just to show the example where it says he was moved by the Holy Spirit. And remember, Peter makes a statement that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit and borne along. Uh, In Acts 17, and verse... uh, Let me see if I've got the right... uh, uh, Maybe it's 27, it's where Paul is shipwrecked. Acts 27 and 17, Acts 27 and 17, all right, here they've been, uh, of course, uh, in a storm and it says in verse 17, (coughs) pardon me, when the men had hoisted hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars, they lowered the, lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. Well, this word that's used here about the driving along of the ship of the sea is exactly the same Greek word that Peter chooses with these people carried along by the Holy Spirit or in the the, the instant we just read of him moved by the Holy Spirit. It's the same word that you would use that like when a sea carries the ship along. And so, you have, uh, you have the, the individuals involved, but yet an overwhelming force from God's standpoint that's just carrying along. Just like you would be in the sea, and on the one hand doing what you can to navigate and all, but then there is the force of the sea actually carrying things along to its destination. And so the, the idea is that that the person is possessed by the Holy Spirit and actually born along in the direction the Holy Spirit wants them to go. Okay, uh, Anna in Luke 2, 36 through 38. Did you have know that, Barbara?
3: There was also a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem.
0: All right, I want to note a couple of things here. I don't want to get sidetracked, but still want to note. Anna is a prophetess. uh, and, And she is being given information by the Holy Spirit and so she comes up to them and she was very old and it says coming up to them at that very moment, okay, where we've already had Simeon that has spoke. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And so, again, it had been revealed to her that this is the one. Now keep in mind they don't fully understand what's involved in the redemption of Israel. They're thinking of physical Israel. But we also know that this is a woman who is a prophetess and she is speaking to all of them around there. She gives thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And of course that uh, we have this in an Old Testament example we could have used that Deborah was a prophetess of God and she judged Israel and she actually conveyed information to the people and they brought their difficult cases before them and she judged them. So I'm saying that it's pretty difficult to believe that it's, that it's right maybe for women to be as, as completely respected as we have in our fellowship. When, when the Holy Spirit was revealing, He actually used prophetess and actually spoke through them and carried a message, and this was the case here with Anna. By the way, Isaiah's wife was a prophetess. Miriam was a prophetess. Miriam composed a song and, and led the people in the, in the song.
5: But it was also
0: it, deaconess. Right. There was we deaconess that uh, uh, what we do, the the Greek word deacon simply means servant. And so what we do is when when it had relevance to a woman, and show you the bias in the translators, they just they just rendered servant. But when it specified a man in some situations, they transliterated deacon and made it clear that this is some sort of a special office. But in reality it was saying the same thing for the woman. That's why some of the translations will refer to Phoebe as a deaconess uh, in in Romans 16. But anyway, that the Holy Spirit used women as as well as as men, and even in this society, in that way, that uh, uh, she came up and gave credits to that. So apparently, when I look at her, that although the men were obviously the 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 dominant and everything like that all the way through, the God was speaking only through righteous and good people. Whether you're talking about Elizabeth or Mary or Zechariah or John the Baptist or others, that, that when he had a message, God picked out uh, individuals that were righteous and, and full of faith and, and revealed work through them. Uh, Sissy
5: had a question. Okay. A comment. I was just wondering do you, do you guess that we, we put too much emphasis on the women keeping silent in the church?
0: I believe, Sissy, we'd get off on another thing, but we'll get to that when we get to the context in the letters, but I believe it's been, number one, if you think about it, we don't practice it literally. Women sing in the church, and, and, when, and when we have Bible classes, uh, most people have no problem with ladies asking questions and making comments or anything like that, you know, uh, but, uh, but we don't want her teaching the class in any way. But the very fact that we that ladies speak up and ask questions and make comments, and the very fact that they sing in the assembly, and some of our songs have parts where just the female sings, so obviously we know that that is a, is not a situation where he's just literally saying you women just shut up. You know, it, there was a he was dealing with a very special situation at the church at Corinth. And there were a lot of wrong things going in Corinth, and there were some women doing some wrong things there. And, and he was really getting on the case, and we'll, we'll, I think we'll see when we get over he was really getting on the case of those women and, and the wrong things they were doing. There were men doing wrong things too, and he was telling them to shut up, because he said talk one at a time. And, and they were, there were a lot of men were talking at the same time. But yes, personally, I believe that, uh, that, uh, that women can do more when that than what they've been allowed to do and I think like, that's
5: like in the, like in the elders now you know uh, we have definitely scriptural it says right husband and everything and now like in the Presbyterian Church you know they they're having women elders now right and I mean that to me that would be very unscriptural
0: yeah I think there's a difference uh when we talk about you know he has the the leadership with the males and all, and I and he has a position set there. But I think there's a difference. For example, if uh, if a male can teach, and not usurp the authority of the pastors, then uh, I don't understand why a female could not teach and not usurp their authority. Either. In other words, I'm under the uh, oversight of the elders over there, and. Uh, and if, if I can teach under their oversight and not be usurping their authority and they still have the authority, then I, I you know, I have it uh, why is a then I, my question is why is a, uh, a female doing as long as long as she's doing things within the prescribed guidelines but, and things like that, but which then I have she to do. but
5: then she could, couldn't
0: she? Right, she could do it. She, she could usurp it. But now part of sort of teaching teaching and and then, then that
5: women teaching an adult class with men. In that class, that would be wrong, wouldn't you? as all right. far as scripture
0: goes. Number one, it would be wrong. I th- in no question in our culture, in in the way that people still think. Well, you're talking
2: all. about in our church,
0: but Not yeah. In all but churches. what I mean to give you an example and on, on that type of thing, all through. Uh, in other words, if something is wrong, it would be wrong in all settings. Correct. I mean, and you may change on that, but that would be my feeling. In other words, if it's wrong for a woman to teach a class that men are in, then it would be just wrong, period, you know. But the very men that that believe that and all will set in classes in school that women teach and have no problem whatsoever. Like all through high school and all through college, I sit in classes that were taught by women. And, and, And the thing of it is, see. When a person is teaching a class, I honestly never looked at them as having any authority over me. To me, authority is decision, and 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 they're going to say something that I have to carry out. Now that's a, that's authority, but uh, I really don't look at uh, teachers as having authority over me. To me, they're conveying information. Like if if uh, if Barbara, for well, like in our relationship, for example, if. Uh, she knows how to use a computer, and I don't then you know she's going to teach me and and so I don't feel that she has usurped the authority or anything like that yeah, because she people me,
5: would make different uh, people in the church would make differences between like in the secular world and in the church
0: yeah right that's what I'm saying they do right. and uh it's like that this is some religious thing that doesn't apply over there mm-hmm. but to me, if I'm looking at it on the basis of uh, of authority, you know, that I, I just simply see, uh, you know, authority and that's it. But that would get off into a, you know, to another thing. One thing for sure, nobody's conscience should ever be defied in any setting. Paul said, if eating meat will cause my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat. And I don't think anybody should pursue anything to the defiance of another conscience. But by the same token, I think a lot of times when you're dealing in judgment aerials, people need to be careful before they uh, bind as a dogmatic law something that they're not sure of from the standpoint of the context. And uh, it's I believe eternal truths in the Bible are taught all the way through. And anytime I run into an isolated statement in one letter that's not taught anywhere else and not even hinted at anywhere else, then right away I at least become suspicion of are we suspicious of the fact or are we dealing with an eternal truth here or is a particular problem tied in with the customs of that day. That right. Like for example, the woman in the covering. In 1 Corinthians 11, the woman is told that she needs to be covered when praying or prophesying because that was a sign of the man's authority over her. You know, I, well, we don't practice that today, you know, that women do not wear a covering in this service. But what we do, we look at that and we say, well, that has to do with their customs. And that in our society, it's not a sign of, of anything. But the interesting thing is, in that 1 Corinthians 11, he's not condemning her for praying or prophesying. It's for, it's for being uncovering and, and casting aside the signs of authority in that particular day. That when she did that, she cast aside the signs of the male authority in, their, in that environment. And, and that's what he was under them for. Look at the uh, Jesus has just been baptized. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes on him. He's thirty years of age. And then look at verse uh, one. Uh, Jim, do you have
1: that? Yes. Uh, Verse one. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned them, returned from Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay. So.
0: Jesus now, we find the Holy Spirit descending at his baptism and now it says full of the Holy Spirit and then it was the Spirit that compelled him to go into the wilderness where he underwent this temptation. So there was a compelling by the Spirit and he went in and, and underwent this temptation. But now again, let's look at this just a moment. Here's Jesus who is God, right? And up to this point are we in agreement that Jesus has lived a perfect life. I well, mean, He's been baptized and remember John said you don't even need to be baptized. You know, you haven't sinned. And he said yes, I want to, to fulfill all righteousness. No. But the point, what the point I'm making is he lived a perfect life by keeping God's commands before he had ever been anointed by the Holy Spirit that, uh, that it, this was something that came at, at 30 years of age. And the Holy Spirit was not there to make Jesus be good in some mystical sense. He already was living a perfect life. But what the Holy Spirit we're gonna see is there is to guide him into truths that he's gonna to proclaim to others. And he's emptied himself, he's left heaven, And God has truths that he's going to teach through him. And so the Holy Spirit is going to compel him and guide him in the teaching of of these truths. Now, another point on what we've looked at so far in the Old Testament and also the New. Has there ever been a time where the Holy Spirit is, is presented in such a way that in some mystical way he helped those people be good? Or do we find God choosing people who are good people? and then the Holy Spirit using them to reveal something. Well, see, I believe there's a, it's the latter, that you've got people who are good people because they love God and they respect his law. By good, I don't mean perfect, except in Jesus' case. But they're good people who are blameless, like it said of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they were blameless according to the law of Moses. And so they're good people, they're righteous, like Noah found favor before God, And so you don't have the Holy Spirit coming on them to make them good in some sense, but you have them of their own free will choosing to walk with God and to walk with His law. And then because they did choose that, we have the Holy Spirit then using them in a a special way. And the same thing with Jesus. He has goodness come from His keeping of God's law, and then God is able to use Him in a special way. Okay. Okay. Look at the next point on number six. I didn't get a paper. Oh, you didn't? Apostles. You didn't? You must
2: not. I don't think she was sitting here because I had an extra one.
0: I gave you an extra one back. Oh, on number six, Jesus teaches the apostles in the Gospels Uh, He tells them to teach others, and he gives them the authority to perform miracles, okay? The authority to perform miracles depends on the faith of the apostles. So he gave them that authority, but that didn't mean they could just do it. They had to have faith in the authority he gave them. But here's the point we're making here. Pentecost hasn't come yet. We have not had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and yet we have the apostles given the ability to perform miracles to confirm their teaching, but then the teaching that they confirmed was from Jesus. And so, over here in Matthew 10, starting back to Matthew the 10th chapter, uh, Mark, would you read that
1: please? That uh, uh, Matthew 10 and verses uh, 1 through 8. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give.
0: Okay. Wasn't that the Holy Spirit though that was given
1: them the power to do that right
0: they would have it would have but jesus gave them that authority for the miracles through the holy spirit though wouldn't it be well i believe so but it doesn't say i believe yes i think the right the miracles i believe all miracles are done through the holy spirit and and so jesus in the same sense that the apostles later on when we get to acts and we'll see how they could impart the laying out of hands but yes, the, every time we have an explanation of where the miraculous comes from, it's always the Holy Spirit. All right, notice, though, the message, look at the 11 and 1, uh, after Jesus had, fin- Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, uh, he went on from there to teach and preach in towns of Galilee, and of course they have gone on. The point is that what the apostles were teaching They were getting not through the Holy Spirit, but through Jesus. And he was teaching them, and we're going to see where he makes the statement that they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. He's teaching them, and he gave them the authority for the miracles. And when they went out and proclaimed this message, just as Jesus was confirming the message that he preached with miracles, they listened to Jesus, and he taught them. And then when they went out and preached, Uh, they confirmed that message uh, through through the miracles. But the information itself was coming from Jesus. And the important thing was get that message out and confirm it. And Jesus was literally giving them the message. Now, note over here in the 17th chapter, an example we saw that he gave them the authority to uh, perform miracles. And then... uh, Notice this example here in the uh, 17th chapter. Uh, Mark, would you read that beginning with uh, what verses? 14. 14 through 21.
2: When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelief and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment.
0: Okay. Notice uh, Jesus gave them the authority to heal. And this is the first recorded example we have of them trying to do anything. And so what happens? They fail. So obviously... Even though he gave them the authority to heal and do these things, that they had doubt in their mind. And so when they tried to do it, it didn't work. Well, then they said, why couldn't we do this? I mean, you gave us the authority. Well, they couldn't because they had doubt. And so then he went ahead and healed, and then he told them, says, the problem is to your faith. Another example of a parallel with this is that when uh, Jesus is walking on water and Peter recognizes him and he said, if you are the Lord, then bid me come to you. And he said, okay, come on. And so he steps out, and Peter's walking on water. But then he begins to think, and he looks at the wind and everything, and he begins to doubt. And when he doubts, he sinks. But what we can see there is that when God gives the authority to do something, in this case, Jesus gives the authority, the very authority he gives is contingent upon our faith. And it is the will of God to work through our faith and in the process actually increase our faith. And I think that's important to note, it's going to become important later on when we get into the, the subject of prayer, that you can pray, and according to the Scriptures, on that prayer is power. The, the, the Christians have been given the authority or the right to pray, they've been given the right to petition God in, in anything that's in keeping with His will. But they're also told that they're wasting their time if they don't pray in faith. That if they're James refers to them as a double-minded, you know, and that something that would not even be heard. It's like that God literally wants us to grow in our faith, and and we're only going to benefit in our to the extent that we're willing to step out and and place our trust in God. And so the authority came from Christ, but even the authority he gave was contingent on their faith. Uh, I believe this, th- this same concept will come forth and we'll read statements later on about quench not the spirit and, and then Timothy told not to neglect the gift that was in him through the laying on of the apostles hands that although they had this gift if they became timid uh, if they began to doubt and everything it just didn't work and therefore they could actually quench the spirit through their doubt that they, they had to operate in confidence and faith in order for this to work through them. So, the apostles then, uh, given the authority to perform miracles, but they're getting their information from Jesus. And then the miracles would actually confirm, but again, it had to come through their faith. Now, come to the next statement. Uh, let's see, I've got, uh, oh yeah, John the Baptist. I think that's interesting. In Matthew 11, and let's see, 1 through 15. Matthew 11 and 2 through 15, okay, and and remember John the Baptist, He's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's he's fulfilling the prophet of Malachi, he's a special person, he's been guided by God, but we're going to see something in John, again, that not only does the Spirit not make you good in some special sense, the purpose of the Spirit is to give truth and to compel and to lead into truth itself. But also, when it comes to those truths, there's nothing mystical that takes place in our mind that causes us to understand. And we noted that even with Simeon and Anna, and Anna those, the two prophets earlier, all indication is they did not fully understand the very things they were saying uh, because nobody else understood. It was later on after it happened. And John, the Apostle John, will make statements that they did not understand certain things, and then later on they understood it. But well, I want you to note the part on John the Baptist that he actually, a prophet of God, inspired by God, but yet he still doesn't uh, fully understand this, and yet Jesus is trying to give him reason to hang in there and believe, even though he doesn't understand it. Uh, who read last well, night? Uh, okay, would you read Carol on that, starting with... Uh, uh, verse 2, on uh, chapter
3: 11, and through verse 15. Okay. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you heard and see. The, uh, things which you hear and see. The blind received their sight, and the lame walked. The lepers... Are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of
0: me. Okay. Now, John obviously doesn't understand. He's in. He's in jail.
3: And pardon me, all that. If you want it all read.
0: Oh, okay. Did you get down to verse fifteen? Yeah,
3: I turned the page.
0: <laughs> okay. I know I'm down. You got go down to verse ten. Okay, okay. Yeah. Go ahead and finish up to okay. verse fifteen.
3: For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly I say to you, among among those born of women, there is not one risen greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence violence taken it by force. For all the prophets and all the prophets for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. For he, he who hears, has ears to hear. Let him hear.
0: Okay. Look at. Uh, well, by the way, that was a very common statement of that day. He who has ears to hear, and what he's saying is that there's let not going to be a compromise here. If you if you're willing to hear this, fine. But uh, you know this is, this is the way it is. Uh, notice John in prison asks the question, sent his disciples are you the one that was to come or should we expect somebody else? Keep in mind John's been preaching his heart out and he has the understanding that the Messiah is to come and lead them, that an will overthrow Rome and so he doesn't understand, what's here I am in jail and Jesus is still not showing any signs of setting up the kingdom keep in mind John's been preaching repent the kingdom is at hand and so he obviously is a little impatient, he doesn't understand, why don't we get on with this, you know, let's get, let's get the kingdom going. So he says, now are you really him? Uh, and so he's already, he was the one that introduced Jesus. And he's the one that when he baptized him the Holy Spirit announced. But it, it shows you that when you're in a situation where you believe something that's different from everybody around you that you can reach a point where you can actually begin to doubt in a good, healthy way. I mean, you can have doubts. So how did he answer the doubt? He sent back and said the miracles would answer the doubt. and I'll, See, I think a similar thing happens when a person maybe who believes goes to uh, maybe college, or he gets involved with people that are very studied and things like that, and who are not believers, and then they have doubt put in their mind. And so then they come back and, and examine, or maybe they go to, some, go, to, go to somebody and they examine, and they see the evidence and all for it, and now they have faith. But the point is, obviously the Holy Spirit is not doing anything to aid John's understanding. Uh, the Holy Spirit is compelling John, uh, John is revealing truth, but all the very truth himself he's pondering and trying to figure out, and he obviously doesn't understand And yet Jesus sends them back, and and then of course there's the compliment that, that he pays to John. And the question becomes that if all through the Old Testament, and if through the Gospels, and if in the letters we can show that there's not a single solitary incident where the Holy Spirit ever had the function of, in some mystical way, helping people to understand things that they would study, that they always, that the Holy Spirit is always giving information and leading people to the truth and all, but they have to study the information and be honest, then, then we're going to want, want to ask the question, where did that initially start? Uh, that, the, that the Holy Spirit's function is one that when you read the Bible, that in some sense he enlightens you, for example, and and, has, and helps you to understand. Okay, uh, look at uh, Luke 11 of the disciples and the Holy Spirit. Luke 11 and 11 through 13. Okay, and was that, uh, Ryan, was we up to you? Mm hmm. You read that. Say so what? just read that oh that was Matthew I'm sorry I think we got Matthew I'm sorry okay Luke 11 11 through 13 11 through 13 and then just go ahead and read that uh, 11 and 12 12 11 and 12 oh
4: okay Um, if a son asks for bread from any father among you will he give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent instead of a fish or if he asks for an egg will he offer him a scorpion if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give to the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him?
0: Okay, so in some sense, you can see here, Jesus talking specifically in the context, yes, His disciples, but in some sense, that they're looking forward to the Holy Spirit, and He's telling them that it is right you know, for them to ask the Holy Spirit. Okay, now in 12, 11, and 12. Now
4: when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say.
0: Okay, so again, they're still getting their information from Jesus. But Jesus knows that the time is coming when He's not going to be there and it's going to be the Holy Spirit. And so He's telling them that it's right to pray and to want the Holy Spirit to guide you and then, at the same time, he says that that there's going to come times when you're going to be in a tight situation and speaking all, but I don't, don't want you worried about it. The Holy Spirit will give you the information to say, "Okay." Then come from that down to John seven thirty-seven through thirty-nine. I see. There's people today that believe that. Uh... Yeah, but that we'll get to that too. John uh, 7,
5: 37 to 39. Let mm-hmm. me do it. Okay. On the last day, the climax of the holidays, Jesus shouted to the crowds, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For the scriptures, the scriptures declare that rivers of living water shall flow from the inmost being of anyone who believes in me. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet returned to his glory in heaven.
0: Okay, now notice it says the Spirit has not been given, but yet we read of Anna, a prophetess that was filled with the Holy Spirit, we read of Simeon that was filled with the Holy Spirit, And we read of Elizabeth that was filled with the Holy Spirit. We read of Zechariah that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we read of John the Baptist that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we read of Jesus that was filled with the Spirit. But then the context here is he's talking to his disciples and those that are following. And the thing that has not happened yet, this promise of Joel that at the time of the New Covenant there was going to be an outpouring of the Spirit. and He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy on Remember, later on, Peter will identify that as a fulfillment. And we're going to end the Gospels with uh, these people having been told by Jesus that they're to wait you know, for the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying that in this context, the Holy Spirit has always been around while God was revealing truth and all. But from the apostles' standpoint, they were still getting their information from Jesus. And what they had in Jesus is exactly what they would have in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was giving them the information, but there would come a time when Jesus wasn't there and so then they would need uh, the Holy Spirit. So then continue on down in John uh, the uh, 14th chapter. And by the way, the context here, for lack of time, we can't deal with the entire context. But at the beginning with verse 23 through 31, the context starts in the 13th chapter, and Jesus is eating the last Passover with his 12 apostles. And this is where he washes all their feet. And then he continues, and from the 13th all the way to the, through the 17th chapter, we have Jesus and the 12 apostles. Right? And so it's in this context that we get this, this statement. Okay, beginning with verse 23. Uh, Mark, would you have that 23 to what did I say,
1: verse 31? Oh yeah. Okay, 23 to 31, or 14. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave.
0: Okay, and notice first of all, notice what he said in verse twenty-nine. He says, "I've told you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that that, it, that it's true, that you will know." But notice the again, as you have Jesus on miracles, Jesus knew that there was nothing mystical about the words he was saying, so that everybody would just know they were the truth. That that's why he would say that even if you don't believe me, believe the miracles they testify to me of John, John 10, 37-38. And he realized that. And he said that uh, if you had not seen all these miracles, you would have an excuse for your unbelief. In John 15, verse 22 and verse 24. And then here the statement is, I'm telling in advance so that when it comes to pass, you may know. The point is, like Moses and all the prophets all the way through, God knows that we have to have evidence or proofs, in our mind to prove something is true. That there, there's nothing mystical about truth that, that somebody can just hear it and know it's the truth. There has to be some way of examining it. You cannot just listen to a person talk. Uh, uh, if you watch any of the trial of O.J. Simpson or any other trial or anything, how, have you ever been in any number of situations where two people are saying the opposite thing and each of them just as straight-faced as they can be and and both of them telling you they're willing to swear on a stack of Bibles, you know, and, <laughs> and you're listening and you're saying that, man, uh, uh, how do I know? Look at O.J., he, he sits over there just, to, if he is guilty, you you know, he uh, sits over there just as calm as he can be and he says he didn't do it and uh, is there anything mystical about that so that somebody can say well he did do it or he or he d- did not do it? But I'm saying we have to look for evidences to evaluate information and Jesus recognized that. Now what was the Holy Spirit supposed to do for the Apostles here? Guide them into all truth, remind them of what he taught them. Okay. He, he, was, uh, he was concerned that, uh, he had been, that he had taught them for three and a half years and so the Holy Spirit would give them a memory now, where this has counselor, the King James has comforter, right? The, the word counselor, notice how it's spelled, uh, counselor, like a, a counselor of love. The word counselor is actually a more accurate rendering than the word comforter. Comforter leaves the impression that in, in some mystical way he comforts you. But that's really not it. He was the, he was a counselor. And notice what he's to do is to... He's to uh, bring to their remembrance all Jesus said, and then in the next passage we'll read, it says he's to te- guide them into all truth. He, this word is the same word that is like advice from a lawyer. And so to, when Jesus was here, they always had Jesus that they could ask questions to, and he gave them the answer. And, and so they had him right there. He was like their counsel. Jesus could have been referred to as their counselor. He gave them advice and gave them the information. In the same way, when Jesus left, he said the Holy Spirit will be your counselor. And it's just like saying that uh, in our language that uh, the Holy Spirit will be your lawyer. Uh, don't talk until you check it out with him. Uh, he's going he's gonna to tell you what to say. He's going to give you the truth. Uh, he's even going to jog your memory. And so, listen to it. And so, that's what they're told. And so, it's counselor in the sense of information. It's not comforter in the sense of some... Now, there will be comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. But it will come as a result of the information uh, the Holy Spirit. Not in some mystical way. And sometimes, uh, people even pray to be comforted in some mystical way that has absolutely nothing to do with information and their their reaction to the information. Okay, look at... Uh, the 16th chapter. I think it's the last one on here, isn't it? Um, 16. And let's just see, roll in because of our time on that 12th uh, uh, and 13th verses. John 6 and... First. Who are we up to again?
2: I think Mark again.
0: Mark, okay. Yeah. Uh, huh? Mark, I'll just read a second ago. Okay. Okay, Mark, would you read that verse? Just read verse 12 and 16. 12 and 13, I have
2: much more to say to you, more than you, not, you can now bear, but when the, He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet
0: to come. Okay. And He will go ahead and bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And notice again in verse 7, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. When Jesus was, was in the body, they, he was limited to that body. And, and they had to constantly come to him and they'd go out on these preaching tours. And yet they had to constantly come back and get their information from him. But when the counselor came to them, the Holy Spirit would be with them all time. So it didn't matter whether they was in Ethiopia or Jerusalem or where, the Holy Spirit would always be at present with them, and he would always be guiding them into all truth. He would always be giving them a remembrance of everything Jesus said. Now, notice the difference now when he says he'll give them a remembrance of all Jesus said. What about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so far as the apostles are concerned at this time? They don't have it. They don't exist. They don't exist. And so they've been there, but put yourself in their position. Uh, you, you've, you've been listening to information for three and a half years. What percentage of it are you going to remember exactly right? You're going to get it all straight. Well, what if they had the information that we've gotten Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You see that, uh, that if the information were there, uh, they'd have it, but they didn't. And so the Holy Spirit was going to Affect their memory and teach them into all truth, and then what were they going to do? They were going to teach it, but not when they were going to teach it, they were going to write it down. And so we would get it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, the question becomes is it accurate for anyone today to go to a passage where Jesus is speaking to the apostles and tells them that the Holy Spirit will give them a remembrance of all that He has taught them? and also tells them that they have the authority to perform miracles to confirm so people will know it from God. Is it right for people to come along and today and say the Holy Spirit will help your memory? The Holy Spirit will give you uh, remembrance. What has Jesus said to any of us? He hasn't. And then if anybody wants to test that thesis uh, about the memory thing, I challenge you, you take uh, take a couple of Christians uh, who are equally sincere, equally committed, equally faithful, but one of them is a good reader and the other one just happens to be a poor reader. They just happen to have, they have problems with reading. And you let each one of them read uh, a book, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then ask some questions and see which one has the, the better memory. And, and, the, and the guy that's not a good reader he can pray all day long, and I'll put my money on the other. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is that that anybody wants to test that can do it, and and there will be no person who is not a good reader uh, who will who who will actually be able. Uh, my grandfather died in 101, and I believe he's in heaven, and he he read the Bible all the time. He had about a second grade education. He read words, and. He didn't understand. He understood the basic commands and to become a Christian and all, but when I would sit down and talk to him about customs and 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 idioms and figurative language and everything like that, just shake his head and he was just disappointed. I was explaining it away to him. He never became convinced any different. If it uh, if it says it, it's that way, you know, and it, and uh, he couldn't relate to it. Well, he wasn't dumb. He just simply only had about a second or third grade education, and he didn't read secular material right, and he had, had problems there. But I'm saying that that was speaking to the apostles, and it's uh, sometimes we even pray before a preacher speaks, give him a happy recollection. Have you ever heard that? Of, of the words, as if the, the Great, Holy Spirit right. uh, uh, will give him a memory of it. Well, I guarantee you, if, if he doesn't read his lesson and go over before he gets in the pulpit, he's, gonna, he's not going to have any lesson. He yeah. <laughs> won't, it won't That's happen. That's why sermon. I have talked with uh, Holiness where we sat down together, people of a Pentecostal background, and had a public debate one time, and uh, asked him if he would, in our debate, if he would, since he had this going for him, if he would <laughs> let me use this, and he would get up there with no notes and no Bible, and he wouldn't agree to that, you know. And I said, "Well, I'll get up there with no notes, and you do too. We'll just both operate with no notes and, and no Bible." And he did He wouldn't agree to that either. But uh, but yet he contended all through that discussion that the Holy Spirit gave him a remembrance, you know. And he used notes all the time he was all the time he was speaking. Um, and, but the point is that we can see, the context is important, and it doesn't take anything. We see that so far that the Holy Spirit was to guide into truth. That was the whole thing, is to get us truth. And we know we got more to study yet, but the whole thing is to get us to truth and then also to confirm that truth so we know it was from God. That even if somebody gives us truth, if there's no confirmation, you couldn't know it was from God. So the confirmation has to be with it. Okay, next uh, we'll go to the the book of Acts and look at uh, some things there and then from there to the letters. But we will, it'll be okay to get into the letters while we're in the book of Acts. We'll do that next time.